0: Well, good morning, church family. My name is Richard Rock, and it is so great to have you joining us this first Sunday of the new year. I don't know about you, but I am really glad that 2020 is behind us. Actually, I probably do know, have a pretty good idea of how many of you are feeling. 2020 was a really challenging year in so many ways, wasn't it? Between the coronavirus, job losses, distance learning, protests, and severe political division, It just felt really good to turn the calendar on a new year, didn't it? Well, I'm really hoping that God has something amazing planned in 2021. And there really is something hopeful about the start of a new year, isn't there? It's a fresh start in so many ways. But have you ever stopped to consider the fact that God actually invented the new year? He created the new year? Think about it. God created our universe in such a way that we can measure time by how long it takes the Earth to make a complete circuit of the sun. But God didn't have to do it this way, he chose to do it this way. He could have chosen to create time as some linear event where we just pile the days up, one on top of the other, forever and ever. But instead, God created a way for us to mark time. And because we know that God is intentional about everything that he does, we can know that there was a reason he chose to do it this way. Now, while we know that the primary purpose of creation is to testify to the existence and glory of God, I also believe that God intentionally designed everything that we see around us with us in mind. And God knew that we would have days and seasons and years that we would want to put behind us. He knew that we would need a fresh start from time to time. And he knew that we would need the hope that comes from looking forward to a new year. So the next time you find yourself saying, I just can't wait for this year to be over, take a quick moment to whisper a prayer of thanks to God for choosing to create it this way. Well, this morning, I would like to ask that we pray before we get into our study and ask him to bless our time together. So would you pray with me, please? Well, Father God, thank you for all the ways that you care for us. You are so creative, and you think of things that would have never even occurred to me. You are truly awesome and wonderful to us. And Lord, this morning, as we look to your word, we ask that you would open our eyes, that you would be our teacher, that you would show us more of yourself this morning, Lord. And I just ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, our world does need hope, doesn't it? Our world needs help and hope, and 2020 was a good reminder of that. All of human history, as we look at it, is filled with tragedy. There's so much suffering that has resulted from natural disasters such as fires, floods, uh, earthquakes, uh, famine and drought, and even plagues. But some of the most horrific things that have happened in human history, some of the things that have caused the most suffering and misery, are the result of evil deeds perpetrated by one human being against another. When we're motivated by fear, greed, hate, and selfishness, humans can do awful things to one another. When we resort to force and coercion, rather than persuasion to get what we want, the results are predictably bad. Now Desmond Tutu, who's probably best known for his contributions to ending apartheid in South Africa, knew something about the power of evil. But he also knew something about the importance of having hope. He said, hope is being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness. Hope is light in the darkness. Hope shows a path to something better. Hope gives us the energy to keep going. Hope says, stand firm, trust, and don't fear. And we all need hope that no matter what the situation is, that we're going to be okay. And this is why when a friend comes to us who needs help, our first instinct is to always reassure them that things are going to be okay, no matter what the situation is, to try and give them that hope that they need. But where does hope come from? You know, I think if we were to just look around us and to try and observe where people in the world are looking for hope, we could come up with a long list of things that represent what people are looking, where people are looking because they look in so many different places. They look for health in their wealth, their careers, their jobs, education, relationships, friends, family, even children. Some people hope in their own spirituality, their, good, their own good behavior or their karma. Some people look to technology for hope. They think maybe there are solutions to our problems that will come from technology. And other people put their hope in physical fitness, beauty, or their own possessions. Still others look to politicians or political ideologies. The list, where, list of places that people look for hope is virtually endless. And you know, each of these things can be enticing or alluring in its own way. And we may want to believe that there's something hopeful to be found in these things. But if we live long enough, we'll eventually learn that none of these things holds the key to hope. In my job, I work with people who have tens of millions of dollars. If money could provide hope, I would have seen it by now. Family and relationships are important, but they can disappoint. The joy of a new gadget or a car will soon fade, and our bodies will fail, and so will our political leaders. And honestly, any spirituality that is based on our ability to be good enough will prove to be a cruel master rather than a source of hope. And if this sounds just a little bit depressing, that's actually the point. Because when we look around the world today and we shake our collective heads at everything that seems to be going wrong, you have to understand that everything looks like a mess because it really is a mess. Billions of people are desperately searching for hope, but they're looking in all the wrong places. And because of that, they're continually being disappointed. And when people are disappointed long enough, eventually they will become either fed up or they're going to give up. Even mighty King David struggled with depression and discouragement on occasion, and sometimes he had to remind himself where true hope comes from. In Psalms chapter 42, David is at a particularly low point in life. And in verse 5, he he cries out, and he begins talking to himself. (laughs) Do you ever talk to yourself? Of course you do, and so do I. I get some of my best answers when I talk to myself, and I rarely interrupt. But David asks himself, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so discouraged within me? Have you ever found yourself feeling depressed? You just don't know why, and you actually ask yourself, what's wrong with me? David is in this exact state of mind, and he recognizes it, and then he tells his soul what to do next. He says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. David understood what many of us know, and that is that if our hope is limited to the things of this world, we're also going to be without hope. But David had God, and so do we. As followers of Jesus, we know that our hope is found in Jesus, and so when we see people looking in the wrong places for hope, we can point them in the right direction, and that's actually our job as the church. This is why Tim so often reminds us that the church is the hope of the world, and the world is desperate for this hope. We see that desperation all around us every single day, but thank God because hope is available and it can be found on every page of the Bible. And this is why I read the Bible every single day, because just like you, I need hope to get through every day. So I wanna ask you to open your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 40, and I wanna look at some of the hope that the Bible offers each of us this morning. Now, Isaiah is the second longest book of the Bible, and I believe that it mirrors the entire Bible in some really interesting ways. For example, the Bible has 66 books that uh, make up the whole Bible. Isaiah has 66 chapters. Now, chapter numbering is not divine, but I find the symmetry to be very interesting. Additionally, the Old Testament has 39 books, and many people agree that while the Old Testament is very important to the Christian faith, it can be a little heavier to read, a little more difficult to read, and similarly, The first 39 chapters of Isaiah have a noticeably heavier tone than the last 27 chapters of the book, and in the same way, the Bible's tone changes very dramatically in the New Testament, which begins with the book of Matthew in the New Testament, and Isaiah's tone changes in the 40th chapter as well, and this is where I want to start our reading this morning. Now, if you're reading in the NIV version, you'll find that even the section title sounds hopeful. It says, Comfort for God's People. Now, we're going to look at this chapter in three parts this morning. First, we're going to look at verses one through three, where we're going to see a foretelling of our hope. Then, we're going to see how that hope was revealed in the person of Jesus with more interesting symmetry in the first three chapters of the book of Matthew. Second, we're going to briefly review some of the big ideas raised in verses 4 through 27 that contrast our God with false sources of hope. And finally, we're going to look at the last four verses, which includes a very popular verse about hope that you may actually want to memorize. Now, in verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah chapter 40, it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says uh, your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. And then in verse 3, it says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, Old Testament Jews knew that these verses, called Messianic verses, were referring to the Messiah. But they could only guess at how God would bring about these verses, how he would accomplish them. But that mystery is revealed in the first three chapters of the book of Matthew. In chapter one, Joseph, the husband of Mary, names baby Jesus, and Jesus' name means he will save his people. Jesus did this by paying for our sins. In chapter two, the wise men arrived, just as Tim talked about a few weeks ago, to proclaim Jesus is king, and to give him honor and praise. And then in chapter 3, John the Baptist actually opens his ministry with a quote from Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 saying, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. I love seeing the connections between an Old Testament book like Isaiah and the New Testament. In fact, many people see these connections to be so clear that they will actually say that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and that the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Now, the next 24 verses, the large center of this chapter, Isaiah contrasts the things of this world that sometimes we're tempted to set up as idols in God's place Um, with our God. Now, we don't have time to uh, go through these verses in detail this morning, so let me just summarize in the following way. Isaiah tells us that someday we're all going to see God's glory, and as his glory is revealed, we're going to boldly proclaim the good news from the mountaintops and in all the cities. God will come in power and rule with a mighty arm, but at the same time, he will tend his flock with love and gentleness. I love this picture because it just sounds to me like a beautiful image of who Jesus is. He's powerful and he rules with a mighty arm, but he loves for us. He loves us and he cares for us. And you know, the truth is that there is no other person or thing that could ever care for us like God does. But in addition to these things, our God is full of wisdom and knowledge. And so Isaiah asks a series of questions. He says, who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? Who did God consult to be enlightened? Who taught God right and wrong, the right path? Who gave God knowledge and understanding? And of course, the answer is no one. And for these reasons, there is simply no earthly sacrifice great enough to properly honor our God. Isaiah's point in these verses is to highlight that there's no one who can compare to our God. There is no idol that can compare to our God. In fact, Isaiah sort of humorously points out that for to have an idol requires that somebody carves a piece of wood or bends a piece of metal into the shape of an idol. Someone else has to come along and overlay it with gold and put a silver chain on it. And finally, someone else comes along and securely fastens it so that it doesn't accidentally fall over. It's kind of humorous when you think about it, to think how quaint it appears, and uh, it's hard to believe that people used to worship things like this, right? But are we really that different today? You know, our idols may not be made of wood and covered with gold, but maybe they're made of silicon and covered with gorilla glass. Or maybe our idols are made of paper and come with the great seal of the United States on them. Maybe our idols are all of the things that we look to for hope that cannot offer true, lasting hope. God laughs, and he says all these things will just wither away with one breath. In verse 28, Isaiah reminds us why God is our true source of hope. He asks, "'Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth.'" He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And that's why in verse 31, we can rely on the promise that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is where true hope comes from, from a God who doesn't grow weary, who has the power to save us from our sins, who can lift us up, and who can offer us wisdom and knowledge that the world doesn't have to offer. King David understood this. That's why at a low point in his life, he told himself, put your hope in God. And the last verse of Isaiah here, this uh, chapter 40, verse 31, is a verse that many Christians have memorized when they need a source of hope. And if you're not memorizing scripture, I highly recommend that you consider doing so. Because in John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Memorizing scripture is actually a great way to literally keep God's word inside you. And so if you will commit to memorizing Isaiah 40, verse 31, then the next, time you're feeling the, lo- the next time you're feeling low or depressed or discouraged, you'll have a great verse, easy at hand, to give your soul a great sermon just like King David did. Unfortunately, according to a recent survey conducted by the Cultural Research uh, Center, many fewer Christians are spending time in God's word today. And because of that, they're less prepared to look for hope in the right places than ever before. And this report also revealed that a majority of Christians question whether or not there's even such a thing as an absolute standard for right and wrong. And many Christians aren't even sure whether or not the Bible is completely trustworthy any longer. These are actually very disturbing trends in the church today. And maybe this is part of the reason why we see such an increase in hopelessness all around us, because the church is no longer as well-equipped to share the good news with others. Jesus told us, go and make disciples. Teach them how to follow me well. But where does our good news come from if not the Bible? What do we teach new followers of Jesus if not what Jesus teaches us in the Bible? What is our truth if not the Bible? Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, That when we follow him, that is when we'll know the truth. And it's this truth that will set us free. But there's no truth without God's word. And there's no freedom without truth. And there's no hope without the freedom that Jesus offers. So this morning, if you're concerned about the state of the world, if you know people who need hope, but they keep looking in all the wrong places, or if you need a little more hope yourself this morning, let me ask you to do something in this new year. Now, lots of people like to set New Year's resolutions. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to set a New Year's resolution. I don't set them for myself, and I'm not going to ask you to do that either. But lots of people do set resolutions. And then you get to hear them brag about their resolutions and how many times they've been to the gym and how much weight they've lost and all those things. And of course, we all know what it means. A few weeks later, when they stop bragging about their uh, resolutions, but did you know that the Bible talks about bragging as well? Sometimes it's called boasting. And in Jeremiah chapter nine, verse twenty-four, Jeremiah says that if you're going to brag about anything, brag about knowing who God is. God, brag that you know about His kindness, His justice, His righteousness. So this year, I want to ask you to learn to brag just a little bit more. I want you to be able to brag that you know God better this year. And to help you brag better this year, I want you to consider doing four things. And these four things will spell out the word brag, B-R-A-G. First, you need to believe. B is for believe. And you need to believe that the Bible is true deep down inside for yourself. It's not enough to believe because your parents or your pastor or your spouse believe. I'm talking about the type of belief that comes from taking the time to personally, seriously consider the claims that the Bible makes and to decide for yourself whether or not the Bible is true. You know, the Bible does make huge, life-changing claims. And what you do with those claims is going to depend in very large part on whether or not you actually believe the Bible is true. Fortunately, the Bible has been tested by millions of people over thousands of years. And as a result of all that testing and challenging, there is an enormous amount of historical, archaeological, textual, extra-biblical, prophetic, and logical evidence that you can examine for yourself. And if you will approach the task earnestly and with humility, you'll be astonished to learn all the ways that God has validated his word, probably many more ways than you possibly could have imagined. Now, as you work to understand the veracity of God's word for yourself, here are three things that you can do as part of that journey. First, Pray and ask God to demonstrate the truth of the Bible to you in a very real way. You know, our God loves to meet us exactly where you're at, and he's not offended when you ask him to to demonstrate something to you, and he loves revealing more about himself to you. Second, keep an open mind, because the surest way to not learn something is to be convinced that there's nothing to learn. Be open to the truth that billions of people down through history have discovered for themselves. And third, do a little study. There are great resources available to us today, teachers and uh, scholars, that can help you understand how the Bible has come to be in its current form and why we can trust the Bible. For example, you can check out John Piper's Why We Believe the Bible series on Right Now Media. This 10-session series uh, details many reasons why we can trust the Bible and how it came to be in its current form. Now, Right Now Media is a great resource that Central Christian Church makes available to every member for free. It's like Netflix for video-based Bible studies. And if you don't yet have access to Right Now Media, you can go ahead and text Right Now Media to 408 944 02 and we'll help you get set up with logging credentials so that you can use this important resource and i'm going to be leading a small group study based on john piper's series starting in february and so you can either choose to join me or uh, do it on your own but there are so many talented teachers out there like john piper that can help you understand how well crafted the bible is ways the Bible is self, uh, self-authenticating, that I promise you that if you'll take the time, you will come away with a greater and greater appreciation for God's word. In Proverbs chapter 30 verse 5, it tells us that every word of God is flawless. And when you come to believe deep down that this is in fact true, it's going to change your life. Now next, after B, I want you to read R is for read. You know, it doesn't do any good to believe that the Bible is true if we're not gonna read it. And let's face it, as Christians, eventually we're gonna have to read the Bible, right? And there are so many great ways to read the Bible today. You can read it on your phone, you can read the paper Bible, there are commentaries and word studies. So many great ways to access the content that's in the Bible, but the important thing is to read. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we're told that all scripture is God-breathed and that it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that you can be prepared, thoroughly equipped for every good thing that God has prepared for you. You know, I love this verse because when God breathes into something, new life is always the result. Just like He breathed life into your lungs and you came alive, and in the same way God breathed life into the Bible, and it's for that reason that in Hebrews chapter four verse twelve we can say Paul or the, the writer of this uh, author of this book can say that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It can even divide between soul and spirit. The word of God is living and active because God breathed it out. And if you will let God's word change you, it will prepare you and equip you for everything that God has planned for you. And the third thing I want to ask you to do this morning is to act. A is for act. Philippians is chapter 4 is one of those chapters in the Bible that many Christians go to when we're battling anxiety or looking for greater peace. In verses six and seven, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here, Paul is offering us the key to peace in our life. But look what Paul says in verse nine. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and then the God of peace will be with you. So Paul says, you know, it's not enough to read the Bible and to know what it says. If you want to be transformed, if you want to experience peace for yourself, then you have to put God's work into practice. You have to act. And so this morning I want to ask you, is there any area of your life where you know that God's been asking you to do something, but you haven't yet followed through with it. Let 2021 be the year that you actually choose to take action and to act. Finally, this, this year, I want you to go. G is for go. As we discussed earlier, this world is desperate for hope. So desperate that people are looking to all sorts of things for hope, and they're being continually disappointed. In John chapter 16, Jesus actually acknowledges the true state of this world. In, uh, in verse 33, he says, in this world, you're gonna have trouble, but take heart, or in other words, be encouraged, because I've overcome the world, Jesus says. And Jesus did overcome the world. He came to earth, he lived a perfect life. He was put to death for our sins, and then he conquered the grave by coming back to life. This is why Paul in 1 Corinthians 1555 asks the question, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And in verse 55, he says, but thanks be to God, because when Jesus overcame death on the cross, he gave us the victory. In the last chapter of Matthew, chapter 28, in the final verses, Jesus is giving final instructions to his disciples. We call these verses at the end of chapter 28, the Great Commission, and Jesus declares in these verses that because he conquered death, he now has all authority over this world. Jesus tells his followers then, he says, Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have uh, commanded you in the Bible. And then Jesus concludes with this promise He says, And when you do these things, I am surely with you always to the very end of the age. And that's reason for hope for all of us, because no matter what is going on around us, we can have hope because Jesus is with us. When I was a kid, I used to play with one of these spinning tops, and I haven't played with one of these for uh, a lot of years, Um, I bought this one on Amazon. I think they've gotten smaller over the years, I guess just like all of our other gadgets, right? And the idea was to uh, spin the top and see how long you could keep it spinning. And I had a lot of friends that as I was growing up, they got really, really good and they could keep it going for a long time. But um, no matter how good you got at it, uh, eventually you knew that the top was going to fall over. my prop isn't working very well. But eventually it would wobble and fall over. And you know, 2020 uh, was one of those years that I was really glad to put in the rearview mirror and to turn the calendar on it. But you know what? As we head into 2021, there's no guarantee that this year is going to be any better. We're going to have trouble. Jesus promises that. And we're going to feel wobbly at times. We're not going to know if the top or the world is going to fall over, or continue going in crazy circles. Um, But Jesus says, take heart, because I've overcome the world. And because I've been victorious, I have all authority. So go out into the world, share the good news, tell people about me, teach them how to follow me well. And when you follow me, I'm going to be with you. And when you put my words into practice, I, Jesus, the God of peace, will be with you then you will experience perfect peace. Put your hope in me, not the vain things of this world, because they're going to fail and disappoint you. When you're discouraged or depressed, put your hope in God and praise him, because those who put their hope in God will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not be faint. And surely, come what may, no matter what happens, jesus will be with us to the very end of the age even if everything collapses and falls over let's pray father god thank you that we can call on your name lord we need your help and we need your hope lord we want to know you better in this new year we want to learn more about your kindness your justice and your righteousness we want to learn to trust you more this year to follow you better and to experience the peace and the hope that you offer. Would you show us how to boldly take your good news to others who are in desperate need of you? We love you, Lord. We can't do this without you. Thank you that we don't have to do this without you. Thank you that your son overcame the world because we couldn't. Lord, I pray that each person listening this morning will be able to experience your peace and your presence this year in a new way. We ask all these things in your holy name. Amen.